Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to hear real life stories about how God works all things together for good, because he is always faithful and always good. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am excited to introduce you to our newest Redemption Press author, Sean Wesley King, who is the author of the award-winning novel, Under the Sun, and now the second book in the trilogy and his new book with Redemption Press, Nothing New. So first things first, let me give him a proper introduction. Sean Wesley King holds degrees in English and history from Texas Christian University and an MA in Bible Studies and Ministry from Lubbock Christian University. He is a pastor in Cisco, Texas, but when he isn't preaching, he's drawing shots at the family coffee shop with his wife, Casty, and children, Ilya and Nehemiah. A few interesting things about Sean. The reason that they have a coffee shop came from the loss of their second child, Waverly. The coffee shop is named after her to remind them that they're not promised another day, so love each other while you can. After six miscarriages in 10 years of trying, they finally had a little boy. With a daughter approaching teenage years and a miraculous fresh start son, Sean is learning a lot about being a good father and godly example of a man, something he didn't have. He is six foot six, loves Texas, traveling, hunting hogs, fishing, or as he says, getting hooks wet is the best excuse to watch the sunset with his kids and he gets to do some side work with a world-class sculptor. He loves his wife more than words, even for a writer can describe. So, hey, let's roll that conversation. Well, it is a delight, Sean, to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me and, and for uh, for everything you've done and your team to, to help this this story come to life in the best way possible. Amen. Amen. So we are going to jump in and talk about both of your books, the first two books in the series. And uh, But before we get there, I would love for our audience to hear just a little bit about how God has worked in your life. We've all got lots of Romans 828 stories where we stand back and look back and go, wow, I did not see that coming. God, I could not imagine that you could work good out of what that just was in my life, but he loves to do that. And so I would just love for you to share your favorite Romans 8:28 story so that our listeners can just get a little peek into how God works in your life. Well, anytime I hear Romans 8, 28, and I'll just read it really quick. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for uh, for good. And I think whenever I hear that, I, I typically think of God as this grand conductor and we're all in his orchestra. And even though it might sound like chaos and, and all this noise, 
Um, it might just be that we're tuning our instruments. And if we're all watching for his baton, he lifts it and we all get silent and we follow his lead. But I, I think in application, a lot of us use that as uh, when something goes wrong, uh, when when we experience the, the painful parts of life. And I think the most defining thing that happened to me and my wife uh, 11, 12 years ago is we lost our second daughter at birth um, named Waverly. And uh, it was just one of those unexplainable things and it crushed us. And we all we knew how to do was to lean into each other and lean into God. And a year later, we were opening a coffee shop named Waverly's. And that has been our home. Uh, we live above it. We write books out of it. Uh, my wife does art parties out of it. And Waverly's name is on the front window because it's a reminder that none of us are promised another day. And, and we should love each other uh, with intent every chance we get. And so it's, it's brought us closer to each other, brought us closer to God. And 10 years later, we, we finally had our second child living and his, uh, he's turns two on Thanksgiving day. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. How, you know, when, when, you know, you can't make sense of a loss like that, but then no. how God will use it to just grow you in other areas, grow you in your intimacy with him and with each other. And I, I mean, I just love that her name is, that's what is, I mean, and to be able to tell the story, I mean, you have an opportunity to have that conversation started that God is good, even when things don't go the way we want them to. And to be able to connect with others, there's so many others who go through the same thing. Yes. And uh, they know they end up in our coffee shop and they end up getting a, a cup of coffee, sitting down and a prayer and hugs and some tears. Yeah. So wow. uh, God is a great conductor. He is. And just the fact, I mean, really, when you lose a child like that, it's not something that you're not in a wheelchair, you're not on crutches, you're not, it's not obvious mm -hmm. that scar, that wound is is often just you know a lot of times people don't ever even process that pain and, and that grief so love that that you create your create that creates a safe space for people to come and get ministered to by you and your wife i love that well thank you it, it's a, an honor to to live not just for waverly but for christ in such a space for such a time as this yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we are going to jump into the first book in the series, Under the Sun. And it is an intriguing look into the distracted confusion of teenage life in today's world. Feels very personal. Is it autobiographical or otherwise reflective of your own youthful struggles? Well, Under the Sun is the book that I needed to read in high school. I ended up reading Catcher in the Rye, uh, 1984. Uh, what other ones? The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, uh, Ernest Hemingway. Things that, that never really offered hope. And mm. so I actually did have a, a 
teacher who's, you know, you can only write what you know. And I have a teacher and Redemption has a teacher that's very much like my teacher who said, you can't criticize a book until you write one. And so Under the Sun is written first person uh, from this young man's perspective. And his teacher tells him the same thing. So he takes a journal of his, his journey and ends up publishing it uh, simply so he can criticize books. So um, he, he is not me. Uh, he's more of an everyman, something mm. that's broadly related, relatable to anyone who's going through high school or who has been a teenager. Uh, adults have en enjoyed this book and said the same thing. It's very relatable because it's a common experience. So in that way, you could say it's autobiogra autobiographical and I'm writing to a, a younger me and right. most teenagers are going through a lot of the same things. So it's, yeah. it's very much a, aiming for a universal mindset that some people still struggle with when they're 60, 80. Wow. So, so there are so many great details of people and places along Redemption's journey. Did you actually take this trip? Did the trip inspire the story or did the story inspire the trip? Well, the story itself started about, gosh, more than 10 years ago. I, I don't remember thinking the first line, but I remember thinking it over and over and over. You can't find happiness under a rock in Montana. You can't find happiness under a rock in Montana. And it was just a, a story that the next part of that was, indeed, it's the only place I ever really have. And so for about 10 years, that that idea of a kid somewhere not in Montana without happiness, and then by the end of the book, he's in Montana and he's found happiness trying to fill in that void of what is he, what is he going through? What is, what are the uh, conflicts that are arising and is, how does he get there? What happens when you, when you get sick of the radio, how long before you realize your thoughts are all cyclical? What happens when you reach absolute silence? And those questions I didn't get until my wife, very supportive wife said, Sean, why don't you just, take the trip. And so for, for research's sake, I hopped on the road and drove 1500 miles through the Great Plains. Uh, not a journey I'd recommend um, physically, but, but the spiritual journey along the way. There's a lot of, I see it, I tell it. And a lot of time passes in between some of those paragraphs. So the story Came well. the The character, the plot line, came first, but the story wasn't fleshed out until the trip was taken. Mm. So the name Redemption was unexpected, but it grew on me. What made Redemption's parents choose that name for him? It's an odd name, isn't it? Do you know anybody <laughs> named Redemption? Uh, I, I don't know anyone with that name except for our company. <laughs> yes. Well, and which makes us even more of a perfect fit. It was meant I to know. be. Yeah. But uh, actually, to be perfectly honest, uh, when we were having our first kid, who 
we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl yet. And uh, I told my wife, let's name our kid Redemption. And she looked at me, didn't want an explanation philosophically or otherwise. She just said, no. And so I, I think it, it only um, was natural that I'd name the, the character Redemption. And, you know, the name insinuates that something previous has happened that needs redeeming. And right. as you read, you find out that, uh, especially in the second book and in the third book, that his past and probably his parents' past uh, are in very much need of redemption. But also it's a foreshadowing uh, name because he starts out just a, a default kid, just living a um, highly reactive and thoughtless life. And he's on this journey to God, but how does he, along the path, you end up asking yourself, well, his name is Redemption. The author must be thinking he's redeemed at the end. Where is this? When does that come? What does redemption look like? And that's, that's what will kind of, that's one of the bows that will be tied at the end of book three. Mm. So redemption learns a lot about himself and about life and about God on this journey. What lessons do you most want your readers to come away with? Well, I think that many people who, who read this book will, will relate to the character if they've ever been on a long car trip. And I don't think they will have taken that car trip alone and in one big two-day journey, three-day journey that he takes uh, alone. So I'd like for my readers to take away from this the most that there's no reason to be afraid of being alone and there's no reason to be afraid of silence. And I, I find that common with a lot of people because it's in that aloneness that you confront your own being and how you are and you're not bouncing anything or uh, coexisting with someone else. It's just you and God. Uh, and in silence, that's, you know, when we realize that our thoughts really are our enemies a lot of times. And so not to be afraid of aloneness and silence, but not just not to be afraid, but to be encouraged to get good at it. It's a muscle that needs strengthening. Uh, it's hard to be alone at first. It gets easier. It's hard to, to live in silence but it gets easier. Uh, the, inward, the inward journey isn't easy, but it is worth it. And uh, no time alone with God in silence is time wasted. Mm. Amen to that. And boy, to be able to learn that spiritual habit when you're young, rather than waiting. <laughs> I mean, when you've got a lifetime of never allowing silence to be part of your life because you're too busy pushing whatever pain you have in your life away and silence would only kind of allow it to come to the surface. Right. That's just, uh, that's powerful. I but it's that. never too late. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for a person just finishing under the sun, what can they expect from nothing new? The first book is is very much a kid who's in the world of distractions and, and delusions, and uh, he's driving away from it. 
and he's shedding away, shaving away the, the elements of the world. Uh, he's simplifying. It comes down to where it's just him and his thoughts and the scenery and God. And so it, it, it's a, a winnowing of, of themes. It's a winnowing of conversation. It's a winnowing of, of distractions. And you end with just this unified, simple, uh, simple scene. And at the end of book one, it, I don't think it's a spoiler because the story keeps going, but he ends up wrecking his car and it, he can't get home. So he's going to have to rely on someone else. And nothing new, it is quite the opposite of book one, uh, of the first book. It is a piling on of the world, a piling on of distraction, a piling on of perspectives and confusion and deception. And so it's, it's a great example of how when someone does find joy in God, when someone does come to terms with belief in God, the world doesn't get simpler and clearer. A lot of times it gets more difficult and more confusing. So book two is going to be uh, a lot of conversation, a lot of confusion, a lot of questions being asked in different ways than the first book, um, and a lot of discernment because things aren't always as they seem. Mm-hmm. So by the middle of the book, the second book, Redemption experiences three increasingly raw and real nights in a garage with some questionable characters. Not a typical scene in Christian fiction, but the story wouldn't be the same without us. Without it. Tell us more. Well, this this is uh, what I call Grace's Garage, where it's in Jackson, Wyoming. He's, he's halfway between the the wreck in Montana and Denver where he's going to end up. Uh, And instead of movement, it's stagnancy. And it's uh, inspired by James Joyce's dinner party conversational narrative short story, The Dead. If you've ever read it, it's it's not like The Dead, but it's like The Dead. It, It takes these characters, puts them in the room and lets the night devolve. And the, the characters who might've been uh, pristine and buttoned up at the beginning, by the end of the night, they're showing their true characters. And you've got a preacher with no good news. You've got a woman named Grace who has no truth. You have a mechanic with no solutions. And the only one that could speak wisdom has no tongue. So you've got these characters that are all dichotomous and all uh, paradoxical, but they have these conversations. It's also an excuse to present difficult issues, uh, get a variety of perspectives and have conversations that many Christian books won't touch. And it, it gives those walls in the garage provide an area for an unsafe, conversations, but important issues that teenagers and adults need to confront and mm. need to shine light on uh, and and talk with each other and, and even talk with God about. So mm. that's good. That's so good. So later redemption ends up with the lovable couple, Max and Maxine, and they tend to talk over redemption's head using 
Christianese and assuming a knowledge he doesn't have. How can experienced believers keep from doing this so that they can impart wisdom of their experience instead of more confusion? That is so important. Oh my goodness. Well, and it's it's an interesting question too because Max and Maxine are very mature Christians. They're grandmotherly and grandfatherly and they're they're full of wisdom and knowledge and redemption is so confused. He's just gotten away from a, a very dangerous dangerous situation. He's very vulnerable. He doesn't know who to trust. He's asking questions not in the same way that he was at the beginning of the book or in book one. He's asking almost defensively and they kind of pick on it, but pick up on it, but they also answer in Christianese. Um, And they do talk over his head, but I don't think that Max and Maxine or mature Christians with a lot of love can or should change necessarily because the main thing I'd love for people to get is the main thing that redemption is going to get from being around them is that no matter what they said, they were examples of the light. Mm. It, It wasn't the words that they were necessarily speaking. It was their love. It was their tenderness. It was their trustworthiness. And the redemption does end up picking up some things from them. Uh, And I think when we want to make a difference to a young Christian or a non-believer who is asking questions, even if we give an answer that it's above their head, what they're seeing is that it's well thought out and that, that we're not stupid for believing it and that a lot of thought and intent and searching went into those answers. And a lot of times our own answers won't be the same as uh, or won't be come to by the same path that that the person we're talking to is. Um, the influence that that we really have in helping transform someone will come with relationship and trust. Mm. It means that even if we have these great thought out answers, these scriptural uh, responses, uh, we need to listen to their questions. We need to hear where they're coming from and answer to the best of our ability where they are. And more than anything, we need to recognize that they really want to understand. They've come to the speed bump, they've slowed down, and a lot of people turn around. So it's it's our job to be on the other side of the speed bump and encourage them over. Hmm. That's good. So in the police station at the end of the book, Redemption identifies long story short from a photo lineup. Redemption didn't react to the other aliases they listed, but they were a bit chilling. So tell me the truth here. Was long story short really a demon? Well, to give you some background, uh, long story short, if if someone hasn't read the book yet, uh, long story short is a a manly character who pulls over to help redemption after the car wreck. And his promise is to take redemption as far as Denver. And he, he starts out a almost fatherly, almost trustworthy, almost wise. 
And the first line of the second book, uh, Nothing New, is never jump on the back of a motorcycle with the devil just because you think he's Jesus, which gives, which gives you an idea that automatically you already know as the reader, you already have insight that long story short is not a good guy. Um, is he a demon? Uh, the question is my answer. I've met a lot of people like him. Um, we deal with the general public in our coffee shop in a small town in West Texas, and there are all sorts of characters, some of them on some pretty awful drugs that have messed up their minds. There was one man that came in and confessed to me mumblingly that the devil told him to dismember my daughter and eat her. And what? Yeah. So these people are out there. Uh, evil is real. And, yes. um, and just because a Christian has a loving heart doesn't mean they can't, they have to look at someone who's doing evil and say, I have to love them because they're my neighbor. No, we've got to use discernment. We've yes. got to protect children. We've got to protect the vulnerable and evil is real and truth and justice go hand in hand. Uh, love and truth goes hand in hand. Um, so is he a demon? I don't know. Was the guy that came in my coffee shop on drugs, was he a demon? I don't know. Um, but I think there are forces and, and spirits that are not of God and definitely influence behaviors yes. and, yes. and just the same way the Holy Spirit can speak through us. Uh, if we allow access to other things, it can speak through us too. Exactly. I, I, I'm trying not to make up characters and have them as metaphors. Uh, I'm trying to write the real world that I see and interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. And mm. that's just a valid question. Yeah. Are they, are they, I mean, I don't know, but evil's real. Well, and there are these people out there. And the enemy would like nothing better than for us to think that he doesn't exist and demonic influence is not a reality and that demons can't influence even believers. I mean, when you think about it, if we go to bed angry, mm -hmm. that opens the door. I mean, scripture says it opens the door to a, a, giving the enemy a foothold. So mm -hmm. That whole area is, I'm glad you're addressing it and that you're giving some, shedding some light on, so, because we have to be wise. We have to be discerning. And the enemy would like nothing less than to trip us up by people saying words that sound trustworthy that are not. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought up that foothold uh, metaphor, uh, scripture. Um in Grace's Garage, that's a lot of the discussion about where does where does lust come from? Where does uh, temptation come from? Why does God allow it? Is he is God setting us up? Um, those are some difficult things that that redemption is struggling with because he's looking at a whole nother side of the world and ends up saying how how can God allow this and and. I'm not going to answer it all, but it all starts with footholds. It all start with, yeah. starts with seeds and uh, all depends on what gets watered. Amen. So compared to the first book, what is the one thing you most want your reader to take away 
from nothing new? Oh, one of the responses that I've heard over and over is that nothing new is is raw and real. Those are two words that that people from different geographies and backgrounds have have used again and again is it's raw and real. Um, I'd like to for the reader to take away the idea that life is raw and real. A lot of times we read Christian fiction and it's almost akin to fantasy um, in the way that there's a problem and they they pray and uh, they're uh, nice little butterflies and bows and and everything works out great and they it's happily ever after where you know we get we get baptized in the water, we come up, we've got demons to face and, yep. um, and the rawness of the, the world stands out. I'd, I'd like for my readers in this second book to grasp on the idea that, that Christianity and being Christian is not just a church thing. It's not just buttons up, button ups, bulletins and Bible studies. It is something that is intended to permeate all parts of your life. When you wake up, when you go to work, when you're in an argument, when you face poverty in the streets, when you face um, questionable characters, when you face temptations of all sorts, Christianity means you're bringing God with you into all these real and raw and sometimes unsafe places because that's where God wants his transformative power to be planted. And so our, our faith, our Christianity, um, as you see in the characters too, they, redemption is looking, he's looking for hope. He's looking for direction. And there are some people who give him the direction and a lot of people who don't. And I'd love for my readers to, to take heed and know that they are making a difference in someone else's raw and real life when they bring God into theirs. Mm, being Jesus with skin on. That's right. Yeah. So we have made it this far on Redemption's journey, but he's still not home. So what can we look forward to in book three, Chasing the Wind? Uh, train hopping, a police chase, an abandoned old house in a sandstorm in West Texas, hard work, true love, and more fire. Ooh, sounds good. So if we have some people listening today that want to connect with you either on social media or online, what is the best way for them to do that? They can look me up on Facebook or Instagram. It's S. Wesley King. And if you go to swesleyking.com, it's got the same information as well. And uh, they can search out the books and find them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold online. Redemption Press, uh, redemption-press.com has it as well. But uh, S. Wesley King, if you search that, you should find me. I love an email. Uh, I'd love responses and I'd love some reviews of what you honestly thought on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you leave reviews. It makes a difference. Yes, it sure does. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It has absolutely been delightful and uh, 
so excited to see what God's going to do with this, these stories and um, just the transformation it's going to bring. So thank you so much. Thank you, Athena. And thank you, Redemption Press. Thank you, readers. So thanks so much for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. If today's episode encouraged you, we would love to have you share it with your friends on social media and even maybe leave a review of the podcast on Apple. And I would love to have you connect with us on the Redemption Press Facebook page, where every Tuesday through Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific, I go live talking about the spoken word about the written word. The link is in the description. So thanks again for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.